Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 106. If you'd like to know how one agency has been using AI since 2011 to predict the future for their clients, then this chat's going to be interesting for you. It'll also be insightful if you're curious how the agency works with their global CPG and FMCG brands. Nick Pearmine and I cover a range of topics during this chat, including his view on what it takes to be successful in account management, what he thinks is in store for the future, and whether we should be worried about AI replacing our jobs. I'm delighted to introduce Nick Pearmine. He is the Chief Strategy Officer at Black Swan Data. Black Swan works with the world's biggest brands like PepsiCo to help them predict consumer buying behavior. And it's been a pioneer in AI and LLMs, which are large language models, since 2011. It was voted number 17 in the top 50 most innovative companies in 2023 by Grit, which is the Green Book Research Industry Trends Report. And Nick co-founded Black Swan Innovation and is currently leading strategy for Black Swan Group across their three offices in New York, LA and London. A huge welcome, Nick. Thanks for having me, Jenny. Well, I'm delighted to have you on the show because we, we were just working out that we've known each other since 2010. And during that time, there's been a few gaps. So this is my opportunity to kind of fill in the gaps for myself and for you to also share some tips and uh, advice for other agencies. So can we kick off by just explaining what problem does Black Swan Data solve for clients? Yeah, of course. So I think we'll probably talk about AI in a bit more detail through the course of the next half an hour, 40 minutes. But it's it's easy to sort of be distracted by the artificial intelligence and everything that's happened in the last year and then try and work back from that as to what problems it can solve. And when 10 years ago, Black Swan was formed, it wasn't looking to reinvent any of the conventional questions, sort of marketing and innovation functions from big CPGs to ask of their agencies. So how are categories going to evolve? What does that mean for their portfolio? What products should they be prioritizing through their innovation processes to bring to market? That all of those questions remain the same. Where Black Swan looked to disrupt the industry was the methodology in which we designed to yield a better answer to those questions. So anyone that may be listening to this that works in your branding or innovation or even conventional research is all the same questions. It's just we've applied new techniques to find what we believe to be better answers to those questions. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I used to use Black Swan as a case study years ago to agency owners because it was at the time, I, I get what you're saying, AI has exploded in the last year and it's not the be all and end all. And obviously those principles for you still exist. But perhaps you could just share maybe one or two examples of working with one of your clients that really illustrate your approach to solving this problem? Yeah, of course. And whenever we bring, yeah, are fortunate enough to you go through a process which results in us having a new client, more often than not, the start point is almost identical. And it usually is a question which is as 
as broad but equally as defined as what's the future of our category so black swan work almost exclusively in the consumer goods space so you mentioned pepsi they've been a yeah, founding client of ours and a huge r d partner for the last decade but whether it's a pepsi or any other cpg brand or fmcg brand is it always starts with what is the future of our category and then from that, we can work back as to what that means for their innovation effort over the next six months to five years, depending on their different agendas. So that is, yeah, as I say, it's a very like, broad question, but equally a very defined question. And it will go on to talk a bit more about Black Swan's methodology, I'm sure. But one of the benefits of the technology we provide to our clients is, is the ability to answer that entirely objectively and in quite a systematic way. I mean, I don't want to press you, but I've thought of a couple of examples that I used to share with my training group. And I think one was you worked yeah. for, it might have been AstraZeneca, and you were predicting, obviously, the future of the category. They were interested in cold and flu. Mm. And you pulled together all these data sources from meteorological data to social media data, and you were able to predict what part of the country, and maybe I think it was flu data, to predict when the next flu epidemic was going to happen in the country by postcode. I mean, I've butchered that, Nick, but could you sort of maybe fill in that example or give us another example that you think would highlight the inner workings? Yeah, so, so that, that example was like very much like Legacy Black Swan. Yeah, the Black Swan as a group, when it was founded, it was founded around the principles of being able to collect data from relatively disparate sources and apply artificial intelligence to understand or structure, understand, and then use that data to predict behavior. So in the earlier days, before I even met Stephen Hugo, the founders of the group, they were doing a lot of work of that nature. So whether it was in the cold and flu context or working with retailers to you know, predict you know, certain events throughout the course of the year, which will help with supply chain. And it wasn't until you know, a couple of years into Black Swan's journey when myself, a chap called Richard and Stephen Hugo founded the sort of the consumer part of the business, which was Black Swan Innovation. We started to apply a lot of all of the technical expertise that Stephen Hugo built out but in the context now of helping solve more traditional consumer challenges. And a good example, which you know, when we talk a lot about on stage at various different conferences with PepsiCo, is the work we did you know, all the way back in sort of 20, at some point in the mid sort of 2015 around that area. Uh, a, a client of ours at PepsiCo was quite interested in Black Swan, ER, sort of the promise we made of our ability to collect all of the social data which existed around the category like beverages, so whether that's Twitter or Instagram or wherever conversation was being had by consumers around beverages, we had the ability to collect all of those conversations, images, and you know, various publicly available data points, which was you know, hundreds of millions of conversations over a two or three year period. And then we were able to then look at what people were talking about and then use that conversation as a proxy to predict how it will affect purchase behavior in the future. So if you can understand those two things, what we're able to then go and do is build a whole number of different products with PepsiCo, which launched in the US and globally, which is sort of being resoundingly successful commercially for them. And a good example of that is some of the, I don't think this is available in the UK, but it's a huge brand in the US called Bubbly, which is a sort of sparkling water proposition. We very much worked on helping build the case for why PepsiCo needed to move into that sparkling water space and then help design the bubbly brand, which launched in, I think it was 20, 2018 at the Oscars. And it had you know, huge success in sort of the first year or two of its launch. And then over the last sort of three years, we've been just sort of incrementally building that brand, whether it's through new flavor extensions or new formats to exist within their soda stream um, part of their business, or more recently sort of launching that sparkling water proposition into the energy space with a, a brand called Bubbly Bounce. And that's a good example of when we've had yeah, great success of 
momentarily asking PepsiCo to almost suspend anything they believe they know or currently do know about a category that is beverages, which of course they know inside out, and then trust the data and the algorithms and the consultancy around that to help guide into where's the growth in a category like beverages, what does that mean for a PepsiCo's portfolio, and how can they go on to then design propositions which would yeah, give them the best chance of commercial success. So the last like seven or eight years, that's been the core of Black Swan, which is why so much of our work exists in consumer goods, and whether that's beverages or snacking or cosmetics or personal care, whatever that is. Do you find that clients feel more comfortable about going ahead with these huge transformational projects because of the data that you can back up all of your findings with? Yes, it's interesting because our journeys are not just us at Black Swan, you know, there's other great companies that have been on a similar journey to us over the last decade and, and increasingly the last year more and more. And it's in the early days, it was enough to be able to say to clients, we have the ability to better access everything people are talking about online. Because if you think back to a decade ago, marketeers knew that consumers were becoming more active online talking about their products their brands their categories and a ton of other things but there was little intelligence which existed which enabled you to access that data and then structure it in a way which would help drive innovation so in the earlier parts of black swan it was like you can do that that sounds incredible here's a yeah here's a sizable check and let's see what falls out and in the sort of last few years as the industry's advanced and people's understanding of what's possible through providers like black swan it's become Yet there's a lot more, and rightly so, a lot more diligence placed on understanding the sources of data and how that data can be converted into metrics to enable businesses to make more consistent decisions. And the great thing about social data is it is a blend of you have a, a qualitative understanding of a topic because you can access the verbatims, you can see what people are talking about and directly read the thousands, if not millions, if you if you want to, of, of posts people are are sharing around categories, brands, products. But you then also, to your earlier point, you have that sort of quantity of robustness to say, well, yes, 8,000 people have spoken about this particular ingredient in around this particular benefit in this subcategory of our portfolio. And understanding then the benchmarks around what 8,000 mean enables brands to make decisions off of a quantitative foundation, but then the ability to sort of still explain why through more qualitative techniques. So this is a layman's question, but in order to scrape mm. this data together and then interpret the data, do you use your own proprietary technology to do that? Or is this all sort of publicly available stuff, but you've got to somehow, you know, bring it all together in some other way? I mean, can you not to go into much detail because it's probably mm. going to be lost on me, but just in a nutshell, how does that technology actually work? Yeah, and, and to be honest, uh, if it's lost on you, it's probably largely lost on me as well, because it's yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not the technical expert at Black Swan, but I've learned to understand from a technical standpoint how we go about answering questions like those I mentioned for clients. But it's a blend. Like there's some great open source technology. There's proprietary processes and technology we've built. But I think one of the benefits we have at Black Swan, yeah, of, of over the last, I think, 11, 12 years ago, Stephen Hugo founded the Black Swan Group nearly nine years or so ago. Richard, Steve, Hugo and I founded the, the consumer part, the innovation businesses. We've got a lot of experience now trying to understand the right technologies to use for the right elements of the process. And we've learned some, some, like, some really tough lessons as well. And we've been fortunate enough to have clients that believe in what we're looking to achieve to stick by us. But, you know, I think back to some of the mistakes we made in the earlier days around where we access the data from and the technology, which enables us to structure and cleanse that, that data. A good example of that might be that same project I mentioned, which led to the conclusion, which was bubbly, where we were one of a number of sort of inputs into that launch. 
we also made a catastrophic mistake, which probably could have had us thrown out of Pepsi at the time where we were pulling you know, millions and millions of conversations around the beverage category. And we were then structuring that around you know, subcategories of beverages like coffee, tea, carbonated soft drinks, waters, etc. One of the things we saw was huge growth in lemonade. We thought, well, this is interesting because a lot of lemonade based propositions weren't necessarily performing well. They had the same challenges carbonated soft drinks had of yeah, sugar, artificials, acidifies, preservatives, all of the same concerns and negative sentiment growing around CSDs lemonade had. So we couldn't really quite make sense of it, but decided to trust the data. And we then went to a process of, sort of building out concepts, which were primarily lemonade concepts, which are you know, slightly differentiated in different forms. The client immediately questioned us and said, this doesn't feel intuitively right, but you know, we're going to trust the data. So let's take these concepts up to some of the senior VPs. I remember presenting some lemonade-based concepts back in 2015 or whenever it was, 2016, I think. And again, was met with, yeah, not, not the most positive response. And it wasn't until I suddenly realized that Beyonce had launched an album called Lemonade that we went back and looked at the data. And what we saw was sort of 90, 95% of positive sentiment conversation around Lemonade wow. was in relationship to uh, Beyonce's album, not to Lemonade a Drink. And that, yeah, but thankfully, Pepsi, you know, an amazing client, an amazing partner. They didn't throw us out the room completely. Um, we took it as a lesson. And what we learned there was if you're going to collect social data, you have to have the relevancy, contextual or disambiguation filters to say that if I'm going to look at Lemonade, as interesting as that is that Beyonce has launched an album, that means nothing for me from a product innovation standpoint if I'm going to go and so that, you know, that's some of the huge lessons we've learned, which led to us to then either build some proprietary um, technology or processes or license, um, not make those mistakes again. And that's, there's quite a few of those mistakes I could list. So. But that's fascinating. And it just shows the, the strength. You've been doing this longer than most, I would say, in the market. And therefore, you have got the war wounds to prove it. Yeah. But those battle scars have all kind of contributed to your strengthening your product and your service. And People who are starting out in the market, maybe on the back of the last couple of years with AI explosion, are probably going to have to work to learn the hard way as well through their own journey. So, Nick, take us through your role at the moment. Like, can you just kind of top line, give us what are your key responsibilities in your role? Yeah, of course. And in a way, it's kind of everything and nothing. It's because you know, there's you know, Black Swan's built such like fantastic teams across all the different departments I work with, whether that's insight, strategy, customer success, sales, marketing. So I get the luxury of just being able to influence each of those different divisions without necessarily being entirely accountable, which when you're a kid in industry, when we first met and I was in a junior research position, you looked at these roles thinking that's you're never going to get there. Like it's impossible to even imagine you're going to have the opportunity in your career to, to do roles like that. And, but it's, yeah, I work in, in a strategy context and it, it exists in two forms, really. So the first is strategy and its conventional definition, which is helping clients understand where yeah, the how categories are going to evolve, what that means for their business, and then the products that they should be developed to ensure that they capture that growth from an innovation standpoint. So that's like anyone that works in strategy and innovation, we're all doing similar things in that sense, just using different data inputs. The second part of my role, which I love, is very much like advocating for the capability that we've been building the last 10 years and other agencies have done a great job building as well. And that's helping clients understand that beyond an individual project where a brand says to us, what's our innovation pipeline for the next three years based on the growth you're predicting in the category, it's 
how do you help us define and build a capability which is going to enable the hundreds if not thousands of marketers researchers r&d professionals across our global business do what you just did in a systematic way so it is a blend of the two and it's an amazing role amazing company and i've always loved the consumer goods industry so to do it in that space is a real pleasure really and are you still the people the go-to people for this kind of work do you have any competitors that come close to how much experience you have in this area yeah it's interesting the last like year not even year last six months when we've been going into meetings there's been a lot of um i worked with you three or four years ago when i was at company x and we continue to work with you on stock but i wanted to bring you in to meet yeah, some of the broader team here, or I heard about you from so-and-so who works. So, so the work like our marketing team have done to build our brand has probably put us in like the top sort of one to 5% of suppliers that do what Black Swan do. There's been some some incredible startups I've, I've seen the last couple of years. Companies like IGE, um, Simporter, yeah, and a whole array of different other ones that I've come across at conferences who they do a similar thing to Black Swan. They may not necessarily have the legacy we do in this space, but it has become a lot more saturated since ChatGPT like announced AI to the world. It, there's been a lot of startups in the last year which are leveraging open source technology and applying various techniques. And I think one of the things I'm looking forward to over 2024 is that I think a lot of agencies saw our industry as an opportunity to make a quick buck based on some of the available technology which ChatGPT and the like presented to the world. I think 2024 will see a huge cleansing of the industry and you know, those like Black Swan that are in this for the right reason will continue to grow a business in the present, whereas I think you'll start to see a lot of the tail fall away. No. Going back a step to what you said about that you have these clients reaching out to you now who've worked with you in the past and they want to invite you in again. Do you think that's more about how different you are and what you do is so innovative? Or do you think it's the service element and the loving to work with you or a combination of the two or something else? It's a blend of things. It's it, They worked with us and it went really, really well. And they've moved on to a new business now. They see the Black Swan as one of a number of ways they can make an immediate impact in that business by bringing a new trusted methodology and partner in to look at the world a bit differently. I think there's some other factors as well yeah, which come into play. So, yeah, some examples are we've had some great partners where we've done some great work, but then the contracts haven't renewed because there's been a belief internally that a system like Black Swans could be built in-house. And and equally, if one was to build that in-house, you'd have access to other data sources, which you'd be able to bring into the mix Black Swan don't necessarily do. So I completely understand why clients do that. And they didn't realize how hard it is to do and how expensive it is and come back a year or two later and say, we've learned a lot of you know, great lessons. But one of the biggest lessons we've learned is we're not a tech and AI business. We're a consumer goods business and we should license this. There's, there's a few factors that sort of we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, generally speaking, that usually is, is a positive interaction, which for whatever reasons has shifted to another company or concluded because of that reason. So one thing I wanted to pick up on, a couple of things, is to go into a bit more detail about how you work with your clients, because I think people that generally work in agencies are curious to see how it works in other agencies. And there's a couple of things I wanted to pick up on that you mentioned. One, you mentioned licensing. So I was kind of interested in your business model and whether you operate as a typical agency business or something else, because you also referred to customer success rather than account management or client service. So could you kind of paint a picture of 
like the sort of how you work with clients? Yeah, in 15 years I've been in the industry and seen so many different models. There's no right answer to this question. It's there's the right answer for a moment in time, and then one will convince himself of alternatives. I'm sure, but we primarily are a tech business that exists within the research and innovation industry. So what that means is there's certain metrics which our investors yeah, yeah, hold us to. Um, one of those being building our recurring revenue with clients. So how that manifests is in sort of annual licenses, clients sign which gives them access to data sets which are structured around categories and markets so if you're a client you perhaps may license like the u.s snacking and u.s beverage and the english snacking data sets so there's the license to the underlying data sets and technology which enable clients to then access those millions of consumer social conversations but one of the big lessons we've learned as well is that not all clients are necessarily ready for self-serve or even want to self-serve their way to an answer they yeah, the reason agencies exist is because of a number of reasons but one is some use us to outsource some use us to yeah, to bring perspective beyond the four walls that you would gain if you work at a certain company. So we have a huge consultancy arm as well, where we will use the technology to answer those conventional sort of business questions for clients directly and then serve them the answer in a more sort of agency client model. And the reality is that when you, when I was just talking to a client about this a few moments ago, is part of the sales process is truly trying to establish like where a business sits on a spectrum of self-serve and traditional agency model. And yeah, do they have the time, the talent, the know-how, the desire to embed technology where they can entirely self-serve their way through? If they do, then that's a journey and they will get there with us or a partner. Or are they looking for a more agency client type of model? And we have some clients that sit at either end of the spectrum, but most of our clients sit somewhere in between the two. And then over time, their dependency on consultancy tends to drop as they become more familiar with the technology and comfortable with the data and the metrics and trust themselves to make decisions off of it as well, which is always a huge thing. That sounds like a very smart business model, a very smart way of working. And obviously it's been kind of developed over years, but just the way you've described it there, it makes total sense because you're right. If they, they're not ready for the self-serve because they don't have the infrastructure, they want sort of maybe some initial guidance and more sort of hands-on approach from an external supplier. And so the customer success team, are they the ones that would be the equivalent of the account management team, for example? Can you talk to me a bit more about customer success and what their job is? Yes, it's a good question. So our customer team is kind of structured in three ways. So we'll have an insights division whose time we're looking to protect you know, as much as we can. So they're focused in analyzing the data and building the best possible consultative responses for our clients as possible. So what enables that is then you have the right customer you're facing uh, teams to service the account accordingly. And that kind of splits into two. So every one of our clients will be assigned a client strategy director. So that's the closest to account management as you trained me and taught me and everything I did in the earlier parts of my career, who will be accountable for the, the day-to-day relationship with the client. They'll be accountable for ensuring you know, that client renews you know, based on value, how we then grow those clients commercially and you know, just the general sort of running of an account. But then what you have then separate to that is a customer success team who will be almost entirely focused on ensuring we train and enable that the teams to self-serve and embed the technology that we're building into their business. So the client strategy director will have probably more practitioner experience as transitioned into a more of a commercial role versus one of complete delivery and insights, whereas customer success will have a good understanding of the consumer goods world, but they'll also 
have likely a background which comes more from a technology standpoint than a consultative one. Amazing. So well explained as well. The client strategy director and that side of the business, that commercial side of the business, obviously that's my area of interest. Can you share anything about how they operate? Any any kind of insight or tips that you can share in terms of ways of working with clients, ways of behaving with clients? Can you sort of paint a little bit of a picture about what they're doing differently that you think is differentiated or where have you seen them perform really well? Yeah. And, and yeah, I remember when I first met you and yeah, was it 13, 14 years ago, you know, I was you know, two years into my career and you, know, you taught me some lessons which stuck with me my whole career. And I've, you know, I've gone hopefully to pass that knowledge on to those that work in like account management, client strategy roles. And but some of the most simple stuff is just like, do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it by and be liked. And if you do those two things, you'll build trust. That partner with the category or domain expertise is going to give you a voice at the table more strategically than in my career before I met you. The, mis- the mistake I made was thinking I was there to book meetings and take notes, not you know, engaged in strategically. And so in the most simplistic form, like if you do those things, the rest falls in place. And yeah, that's you know, when I first worked with you, when you were consulting the business I worked at the time, you taught me. And But then in terms of like the general operating rhythm, it's interesting at the moment because we're trying to engage more physically beyond just Zoom calls because... So much value comes for both parties when you can be in a room with one or a collective of clients. And the client strategy team would facilitate those sessions, you know, ideally more physically than via Zoom. But there is like the operating rhythm, which most agencies will follow. So there'll be annually, you'll build out a plan for the account, ideally with the client. So you understand the big events they have and where we'll be involved throughout the calendar year. You then run quarterly business reviews just to ensure that we're yeah, we're moving against those KPIs that are set at the start of the year and if any new ones have come in then they're the sort of the, the sort of significant sort of events which happen through the year and then yeah, there's the weekly connects which are critical because you stay connected to the client and just generally just staying as close to their business as you possibly can but being when you're welcome to not just sort of forcing yourself into forums where there's no obvious reason for, it, for you to be there but yeah, any agency would teach you an operating cadence and give you templates for those quarterly business reviews and those annual business plans. The, the best advice I've ever had was what you gave me, which was, as I said, just do what you say you're going to do. When you say you're going to do it, be liked. And as a result, you'll be trusted and the rest will take care of itself. It, it should be a case of delivering good work and filling out templates. Really. Yeah, not to be reactive, to be proactive. And the points that you've explained about the upstream touch points, I call them, where you are sitting with them planning their yearly you know, cadence of work and you are keeping upstream by having quarterly strategy sessions, quarterly business reviews, whatever you choose to use. Because I've seen a lot of people lose business through just having weekly touch points only, which are very tactical and it's not the right forum to be having more strategic conversations. So that's a really good tip to take away for anybody listening. Just in terms of, just out of interest, final kind of question on this, but Mm. what do you use internally as your tech stack to, you know, project management systems? Do you use Slack? How do you keep in touch and make it all run? Yeah, there's a ton of things. Given the tech nature of our business, like Lassie and is is key. The day-to-day, I think, is run on Slack. There's the Microsoft suite, you know, for SharePoint, et cetera. There's so many bits of software like Bamboo HR, just for day-to-day HR, you know, one-to-ones and holiday book it is. There's, there's quite a, an array of different softwares we license to run the business. And there's probably 10 more to us. No, that's great. It just gives a flavor of what you're using. Now, Black Swan has obviously been a pioneer in using AI. How have you seen this 
technology evolve over the years? And how do you think agencies now that aren't involved in the kinds of work that you're doing need to evolve given the changes that are happening? Do you have a point of view on this? Yeah, I do. And that point of view has changed a lot. Yeah, when, when we first formed the consumer part of the business, I remember Steve, Hugo, Richard and I, we'd stand up on stage around the world and talk about how you know, the, the, the accessing the data, your social data and AI is going to completely kill traditional research. I think yeah, at the time we probably needed to have a position which was as um, yeah, as firm as that and as divisive as that. And, and honestly, we believed it as well, because you know, we all come from a you know, traditional research background. And saw the challenges that we thought we could entirely overcome with this methodology. And but that we've yeah, rightly so as we've yeah, been humbled and we've educated, been educated over the last 10 years, that position has watered down a bit, where a lot of it today is understanding like for Black Swan, like where our solution fits within an ecosystem of supplies which deliver whether it's similar outputs or approach the same questions we do differently. And it's so easy to, I think even myself, like having spent a decade working in this industry in, in the context of an AI business, I still lose sleep at night thinking, where's the industry going? And will I have a job in five years time? But genuinely still lose sleep over that. And it's so easy just to be, yeah, to read a lot of the commentary on AI and our industry and just respond to it through one of fear, I think, because the, just the reality is it's not moving at the pace which people think it is. Like We still lose a lot of pitches, not because people don't love Black Swan and what we're trying to do, but because they're not yet willing or ready to step away from a traditional UNA study or turf analysis or focus groups, whatever that is. And mm. there's this belief, I think, across agencies that it's moving at the rate in which we're consuming content around AI. And it's just not like these businesses, the PepsiCo's, the Procter & Gamble's, et cetera, this world, these are huge, huge companies and change of this magnitude. You need to really be able to justify why you're going to change an approach or a technique when they're performing the way they are. And, and the only advice I'd have to myself, I need to listen to, but also to anyone in the industry is that, of course, you have to evolve independent of AI, but it's just be deliberate in how you're evolving and don't feel the need just to, to attach yourself to something because you think that's how the industry is moving. And it, it's just not moving at the pace people say or think it is. So you've got more time than you think to educate yourself and work out very deliberately how you're going to advance your career. I think a lot of people listening to that, given your expertise and your experience, are going to be actually quite heartened to hear that. Because I think there is this panic because obviously we're in the digital marketing space and we're consuming the content like everybody else is about how quickly AI is going to replace us. And there is a bit of a panic. I don't think you're alone in that yeah. because we're all watching and thinking, but you're right. Ultimately, it needs to be adopted by the giants, the corporations, and they move slower. So mm -hmm. it is going to take a little bit of time. Also, we've got the legal aspects, haven't we, that everyone's trying to wrap their heads around. It's not really sure exactly where that's going to all land. But one of the threats that I've seen for agencies is the fact that procurement are getting up to speed in AI. And I think the billing by the hour model is going to erode quite quickly. So rather than billing by inputs, i.e. hours, we're going to be more billing by outputs and outcomes. Have you got any view on that? Because obviously you're a little bit more ahead of the game because you've got licensing fees. But just thinking about the agency, the typical traditional agency model, do you agree or do you have a, any other kind of thoughts on that? I do agree. And I think it's, it's, I've always thought it's like archaic to attach time to value because when you work in a creative context like we do and you know people that follow you is you can have an idea within two minutes or you can spend two weeks or two months trying to reach it but it's, it's every agency will talk to you about how hard it is to start to do value-based pricing and yeah I'd, I'd love to 
be a part of the conversation with you know, all the people you're talking to about what that looks like for them then because it is very difficult and we're not getting as many requests anymore from procurement divisions to give a breakdown of hourly rates largely because we've often refused to do it because the numbers just don't stack up and then when you start taking into account the cost of data our technology which enables us to do everything we do with it it doesn't really make that much sense to follow that model and so i don't know whether it's we're seeing less and less requests of that nature and a lot more clients understand the range in which they either can afford or are willing to pay based on how tactical or strategic their request is of an agency and how they have those benchmarks i'm sure is probably just an accumulation of thousands of proposals they've received over the last 10 years around different business questions great answer and i feel a little bit duty bound to plug win without pitching which is blair n's program and it teaches agencies to value price basically so yeah. since you brought it up i thought yeah. i'd plug that in order to be successful we talked earlier on about being more strategic as a, a client strategy director or a you know someone that's in that client facing team what do you think any thoughts on the skill set that they need to have in the future versus now what do they need to be doing more of and what do they need to be doing less of yeah i was just thinking back to like, like the lessons you taught me all those years ago and they still stand true and there's the obvious which is like you have to be technically like adept like you need to understand the technologies available and you need to be able to be consultative to the client yeah around which of those you know, they should be considering you know as i mentioned like part of my job is talking about black swan as a capability versus black swan as an answer to a question and so much of that is just engaging in debates with senior clients around ai and etc and that will become a prerequisite for any account person in the next five to ten years and that's just a case of you're reading the right industry press and being interested enough in what you do to educate yourself beyond the day-to-day but the, I think the second one as well, though, is, you remember you taught me, it might not have been his exact words, I'm sort of paraphrasing you poorly, but he said to me years ago as an account person, like, if you want to be interesting, you need to be interested. And that always stuck with me when we spoke about that. And I used to, off the back of that, I used to read marketing and campaign, marketing weekly, the grocer every week. And I've still got folders, you know, that high of, I used to cut different um, clips out of those magazines and collect them and categorize them so that if I picked up a project with on the future of snacking, I could go back and look three years around all of the interesting articles I collected around how snacking is evolving over the last three years. You don't need to do that anymore. But there's so many great communities and creators now who will be talking about elements which are critical to your day-to-day, which you have to be consuming. And you, you can work out which ones you like and don't. But when I think even in the innovation context, you know, there's amazing communities like Snapshot, like CPGD, indie brands. Like These are all communities where they're aggregating all of the thousands of individual startups and ideas which exist out there and categorizing them based on you know, where they sit. And for me, working in innovation, like my duty to my client is to know everything that's happening out there. And that's only going to come if you genuinely are interested in what you do. But I think both of those factors are going to differentiate you as an account person today, but also over the next sort of five to 10 years. I'm so glad you said that, Nick. And I mean, you've just given a masterclass in, I think, my observations from the people who fly in account management. The difference is that they develop themselves. They're constantly learning. And you just kind of spelled it out. This is what I do blow by blow in terms of getting all the data, organizing it for myself and then making it a reference point so that I can constantly be looking at what's changing, what's happened so that you have a point of view on things. Now, I'm going to ask you to repeat what you said, snapshot. Oh, sorry, snack, snack shot. So snack shot, sorry. Um, S-N-A-X shot. There's a lady called Andrea, I can't remember her second name. It's just, a, 
I won't do it justice talking about it without people visiting it. There's a company called CPGD, which is run by another lady called Andrea, not the same one. It's it just an incredible community of yeah, small to medium-sized CPG innovations, indie brands, which does a similar thing. There's just so much out there. You can just get lost in a, a trail of amazing communities if, if one's willing to invest and in their time in seeing what's out there. And yeah, and that's not even talking about all of the different podcasts and et cetera, which, which are out there. But there's not an absence of data that is freely available now for people to consume. If they invest the right amount of time, they'll find the right suite of creators or communities they want to engage with. And then it's a case of, do I love my job, my industry, and what I do enough to want to genuinely invest in in these versus just feeling I should consume them for, for the sake of it? Yeah, you've got to have a real drive and passion, haven't you? And, and an interest, a genuine interest. And just one tool that I came across, even if you start with YouTube alone and you decided to invest some time in watching a few videos about where you're at at the moment and what skill you need to acquire or what part of the industry you need to learn, there's a great AI app. There's probably a million, over a million, but there's one called Glasp, G-L-A-S-P. Okay. And it basically synthesizes all of the YouTube stuff. So you've got like a dashboard. So if you watch a video, it will give you the summary and then you can save it in your dashboard. So I find that quite useful. And there's probably a million more. You probably know a lot yes. more about it than I do. But Nick, this has been absolutely brilliant. And I thank you for sharing so many tips and like some granular details. Just a final question. If you had any piece of advice for maybe someone who is career driven, who wants to make that journey like you've done, which is incredible to go from a research executive when we met to head of strategy globally for a huge corporation working with FMCG brands. What pieces of advice would you give to someone that's maybe earlier in their journey? Good question. Um, I think the biggest one is one of the ones you taught me, which was if, if you want to be interesting, you have to be interested and you have to engage in communities and outside of the nine, nine to five, which doesn't really exist in an agency anyway, but find the time to go and consume and discover that content, which is going to differentiate you. But it's a tough one, actually. I think that the biggest, uh, whether this happened organically or it was taught to me, is I've had an amazing career to date, you know, 15 years of working in the industry where I've worked with some incredible people. And it's understanding that having the humility to recognize you're not complete and you never will be. But then seeing those that you work with, whether they are other account managers or account leads or creative directors or insight people, and there's always something within that individual that you work with that you can learn from and which will grow you. And it's just having the humility to recognize that. And that's not saying like mercifully just drain people of what makes them them, but that, I, that's been hugely helpful for me, just naturally sort of learning from those around me deliberately. But, but also don't benchmark yourself against your colleague that's at the same level today. Like hold your standard to your mentors, to the people that inspire you the most in the industry. And that's your standard. Your standard isn't to be 1% better than the person that sits next to you because that's going to give you a pay rise or will get you that promotion over them. Your standard has to be the people that are maybe five months, five years, 10 years, 30 years, your senior. And that is the standard you have to set yourself, which will set you up for some huge falls on the journey to trying to get there. But that's probably the, the thing I, and I look back on, albeit only a third of the way through my career, I've always held myself to the standard of the partners of agencies, to the C-suite of consumer goods brands. And I know I'm really miles off of those, but you're going to get closer to that by benchmarking yourself against them versus your counterparts, really. Love that. What a great note to finish on. Great advice. Thank you so much, Nick. If anyone would like to talk to you, who would you like to hear from and what's the best way of reaching you? Yeah, it's like LinkedIn. 
that my email address, Black Swan email address, anyone that works in innovation or you know, the consumer goods industry, whether that's research or whatever form you exist in and wants to understand a bit more about some of what I've said is, you know, for me, the desire to grow in this industry is driven more by an anxiety of being left behind. Some people might have more positive energy and be desired by the appetite to grow versus an anxiety which drives that. Either way, like you know, I've got a lot of experience in consumer goods and AI and working with big CPG brands, you know, happy to sort of talk to anyone about where they are in their career and where they want to go really. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you so much, Nick. And thank you for joining me. And thanks for sharing so many tips and insights. It's been brilliant to catch up with you. Amazing. Thank you, Jane. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Nick. And if you're listening to this at the beginning of 2024 and you're based in the US, I wanted to let you know I'm going to be running a value-packed seminar with David C. Baker and Jack Skeels on the 12th and 13th of March in Atlanta. The event is all about the account management and project management roles. And I'll be talking specifically about the essentials of account management, how to grow an account and how account managers work with project managers. Now, David obviously is extremely well known in the agency industry. He's an agency advisor. He's the author of a couple of books, The Business of Expertise and Secret Tradecraft of Elite Advisors, as well as being the co-host of the Two Bobs podcast with Blair Ends. So if you are familiar with David, you know that when he puts on an event, it is value packed. You can find all the details and book your tickets at David's website, which is punctuation.com. I'd love to meet you, particularly if you've been listening to this podcast for a while. So check out the details and I really hope that I see you there. Until the next time, I'll see you on the next one.